Hello everybody, welcome to Rebel High Command Cast, a subsidiary of IA Command YouTube channel and an Imperial Assault podcast that dares to ask the question, is a game truly dead if we choose to not let it die? This is episode 3, I am your host TV Boy, aka Noah, and today I am joined by my co-host, uh, The Second Flock, aka Wesley. Wesley, how you doing? Hey, doing great. Beautiful uh, Saturday morning for us. Nice, awesome. Alright, well, um, today's episode we're going to be talking about all the different game modes in Imperial Assault. We talked about Skirmish in the last episode pretty in-depth and why you should be playing Skirmish. Um, And we thought today would be a good idea to kind of cover the rest of the game modes in Imperial Assault and talk about um, what the strengths and weaknesses of each one are and why they're interesting and maybe why you... which one would be best for you as a player. So... Um, but before we do that, um, let's talk about um, some games we played this week since our last episode. Um, Wesley, have you played any Imperial Assault games? I have not since last we recorded, but uh, the last time we spoke, I did not go over a game I had done the night before, so we could get into that. Yeah, what'd you do I the night I before? Mentioned... Mm-hmm. What's that? Yeah, what'd you do the night before? Yeah, uh, so the night before we recorded last time, I did a nether match against uh, one of our newer players, and I had built this 8 activation Royal Guard champion list and wanted to give that a try, uh, always being a fan of the brawlers and sometimes the Imperial stuff. And my opponent had a mismatch list uh, playing a lot of different things. They had Han Solo, Sabine Wren, Ahsoka, um, Hera, Syndulla, and Kotun Ferrello. And then supported by R2 and 3PO. And then I think uh, that heroic effort card. So I thought, okay, well, you know, this newer player is doing a lot of mismatched things. I think I might have this in the bag, but let's see how it goes. We were on the Earthscrew Entertainment District doing the uh, Rebel Crate mission. The Crate mission where you get VPs at the end of each round. Mm -hmm. And I start sending guys down the left, and my opponent, uh, being newer, is... Not really sure how to position in round one, especially when we're waiting for these doors to open. And so he kind of sends players in both directions, and I try reacting to that. Near the end of the round, he activates Han and sends him over to the right, the opposite direction of uh, where everyone else had been going. And I'm kind of worried about Han, so I send the Royal Guard Champion alone to the right. And when round two starts, I go in with Royal Guard Champion and Deep Strike. I'm able to get a Brutality off on... Han Solo and, I think, Ahsoka, no, Kotun. Uh, and then at that point, he, when I declare the brutality, he asks if he is now allowed to play a card in his hand, and I realize I might have made a mistake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that, for sure, was on the lamb. Uh, but I kind of helped him with the rules there, let him explain that I had to declare it against Han first, uh, got the Ahsoka attack off first, since that's who I planned to hit first anyways, or Kotun. Uh, but then Han goes to On the Lamb, and I go, oh, so I'm going to miss this attack and get return fired. I don't know if Parting Blow in my hand would be the best reaction here, but it does seem fun, so I'm going to Parting Blow. And I do, and I wind up spending a bunch of command cards in this multiple attempts to hit Han. I wind up doing five damage to him, but then he you know, takes a few steps back and shoots at the Royal Guard Champion. He, uh, the big, the big mistake here is that now Royal Guard Champion is stunned. Um, 
and also all of my other units are on the other side of the map. So it quickly turns into a round of all of my figures double moving into where they can get line of sight or get close enough to my opponent to hit them next round while my opponent is kind of able to run around and take choice shots at whoever they want on my side. Uh, and I do throw a Purge Trooper in to cover the Royal Guard Champion, and he dies, but because of the stun from Parting Blow, I don't get to use the Royal Guard Champion's Execute ability to run up and hit the attacker. And so the Royal Guard Champion basically sits there for a round and a half until I get a chance to activate him again and go and get another couple hits in. Uh, in the end, we I think we have an R2-D2 try to run up and attack Callus when we're all running out of units. And that didn't work, but it inspired me to have my Imperial officer run up and shoot at the 11 damage Sabine and get the 1 damage to get the kill there. Uh, my opponent was not expecting that, and it denied him a couple of crates by doing that. Uh, and then I send Callus in to try to make an attack on Han, just try to get enough damage on there. First attack does three damage. He Han had healed some, so he had five total. Uh, so Han had seven health. But Callus was able to focus, and from his own ability to draw a card, I drawn the last card of my deck, which was looking for a fight. And the only other card left in my hand is Parting Blow. So... I'm able to get off this Parting Blow, looking for a fight combo, use the power token, use the focus. I roll 9 damage symbols with Han at 7 health, which means even if he gets a block of aid with Cunning, it's going to be good. And I just say out loud, so this is where the dodge comes in, isn't it? And sure enough, Han gets the dodge and we call it there. <laughs> nice. Wow, that's cool. That's a good bat, little bat rep there. Um, yeah, that that interplay between um, on the lamb and parting blow is a is a pretty classic one actually from 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 years ago. I mean, with when Vader and Han were the dominant two figures in the game, um, you had have that come up often um, where Vader would come in and attack Han, and he'd have to consider whether or not Han had on the lamb, and then he would usually have parting blow, and so trying to catch Han on his way out. With when he plays on the lamb, uh, was was a common thing you would see, and so it was became uh, often a guessing game of do I assume he has lamb and hold off on playing like spending my Thrawn token and playing um, what's it called death blow, uh, mm -hmm. or do I wait until he plays on the lamb and then use all those things on the the parting blow attack and hope to maybe kill him. Because uh, Vader could sometimes one-shot Han, depending on his tokens and his reroll, um, or at least get close to it. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, I think, fun. I think the the mistake with Royal Guard Champion is you shut down his further abilities and movement. Uh, like he has an out of round attack, which he's not going to get off if he's stunned. So you mean Vader? The lesson there was to not. No, Vader, uh, you can stun him, but, you know, he can still force choke or do other things out of turn. And next turn, you can unshakable and move him if you need to, or whatever you want to do. Uh, what I'm saying is Royal Guard Champion with his Executor ability, you know, if you have a friend oh. die, he can normally run up and attack. Can't do that if he's stunned. And I think that was a big part of, uh, part of the mistake there. Interesting.
Yeah, I think of Champion usually more for his, like, um, flurry, his flurry of blades thing and his parting blow tricks. But yeah, this true executor does come into play um, sometimes. Yeah, I think in the future I would try and parting blow with Mara and Callus first, since they're a little less extremely vital than uh, World Guard Champion with his ability to move out of turn. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I had a game just last night, actually. Played a late night game. Um, I played against Josh, and we were playing for the week three of the the league, the competitive league. I switched over to a um, heavy weapon saboteur list from the hunter list I've been using. Um, I actually copied the list from Kyle uh, from the tournament, so now I'm a dirty netlister. And I I did switch a couple command cards around, but it was mostly pretty much the same. Um, two sabs, one with targeting computer, Cotune, uh, Sagarera, all that stuff. Mern. Um, and I played against Josh, and he was playing his like battle-tested double ISBs with Emperor Palpatine and Thrawn. Although I think Thrawn might have been a new addition. I don't remember him having it in his previous versions, but this is like a list that he like won that tournament with a while ago, the Vassal tournament. Mm-hmm. And it's very strong. It's very they all have um they all have general general's ranks on them. So the two ISBs have general ranks. Which is the one that gives them extra damage when they attack outside of their activation and extra move when they move outside their activation. And then he combos that with uh, motivation on Palpatine. So he'll have Palpatine move. Um, he motivates one of the ISBs to move three spaces instead of one, thanks to General's ranks. And then he'll Emperor to have them attack. And then that sets it up so that the other, when the ISB actually activates, it's in position to do um, the its normal attack and then get a bonus attack from the other one with coordinated raid, and the other one can attack as well, or I don't know how that works. It's like, he moves one into position with motivation, the second one comes up, makes an attack, and then the one that got moved already attacks, and then does coordinated raid. Yeah, so he gets three attacks uh, with his ISB infiltrators, so it's um, it's very scary, and the other thing is that you can't play any command cards while the Did uh, we lose you now? Yeah, I think so. Can you hear me? Uh, can you hear me now? Can you hear me? and video can you hear me now yes okay yeah I think I bumped my USB microphone connection so we'll just edit that out 
So uh, we lost you when you were describing how the ISPs could move three or get three attacks off after Palp moved them. Yeah. So then the oh my why is my audio so high now? There we go. Okay. So yeah, the other thing is they can. Um, uh, you can't play any command cards while they're activating. So you've got like these three ISB attacks coming in um, that are usually hidden, and you can't play any defensive command cards to try and blunt their attacks. So it's a very scary, uh, very powerful list, and he, and he knows how to use it because he's been using it for a long time. But we were playing on um, the Uskru map, the one with the control the, the stashes mission, and... Um, we set it up so that I was on the bottom, and we ended up where he split his ISBs. His ISBs went to the left, and then Thrawn and Palpatine went to the right by the terminal. And I was putting all my guys on the left side, so by the booth. But then right at the end, um, I had a plan where I double moved two of my saboteurs uh, over to the right side to control the crates on the right side of the map, and then to they would be there when the door opens to be able to attack. Uh, Palp and Thrawn, with the goal being I wanted to kill Thrawn at the top of round two with initiative. So I ended up, um, we had this crazy sequence of die rolls where I had two uh, Sabs attack Palpatine, who is right next to Thrawn, because I knew I could kill Thrawn. I would do more blast damage than regular damage, so I, I attacked Palpatine thanks to um, priority target on the saboteurs. And I also have Heavy Fire in the list, I have Saw Gerrera, and then in my hand I had Collateral Damage. Um, and the Sabs were both, uh, one of them was Focused and had a Surge Token from Kotun, and the other one was Hidden and had a Surge Token from Kotun. And I ended up um, being able to kill Thrawn with just those two Saboteur attacks off of the Blast by attacking Palpatine. But... Um, it was a pretty. It got hairy at the end because in the second attack, Palpatine rolled a triple block, and he still had uh, Zillow up. So I even if I and I only had two damage showing, so I had to like calculate through all the Zillow possible Zillow activations and modifiers and realize that even if I did Pierce four, um, he would still be able to add a block and exhaust Zillow and not take any damage, and that would c prevent all the blast I did. So I ended up needing to re-roll a yellow with targeting computer, and I got I got enough damage where uh, I was able to do Pierce 4, Blast 2, uh, after doing Blast 4 to Thrawn, so I brought him down to 3 health, and then I had to do Heavy Fire and Collateral Damage to kill him. Um, but because he rolled the triple block, I could have killed... Um, an officer with the collateral damage instead, but I lost out on that. Um, and then we ended up fighting on the left side against all of his ISBs, and I got super lucky because my Kotun, thanks to being next to 3PO, survived three ISB attacks, one of which was focused, with just one health left. And then I Heart of Freedom to get her out of Palpatine Tempt range, moved her up, managed to one-shot an ISB with Wild Attack, and then urgency to back away to, to my deployment zone. And so she lived. And then from there, um, that ISB hadn't activated yet. So that was a big tempo swing for me. And then, um, 
yeah, from there I managed to just kind of win on combat, but he was controlling the objectives like so well. He had his his units positioned perfectly, not only so that he was always controlling the objectives, but that so that I couldn't move my figures to get next to them to contest them. Uh, so he was like, it was actually really close in points, but he didn't kill any figures. So just because the luck of the dice really kind of went my way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that one was pretty crazy. I don't know if that's going to go up on YouTube yet. I'm not sure if I'm going to post that one, but um, he played really well too. He he had a moment uh, where um, he positioned all his ISBs on the left side in a way that they were in like a checkerboard formation. So there was one and it had like three next to it. Or no, it, had, it was one that had two next to it, two adjacent, and it was very tempting. And I almost... I almost didn't go through with my plan of going to the right side to take out Palp and Thrawn, or to take out Thrawn, and I thought, oh, maybe I should just focus on these guys on the left and try to take out all three, or take out two of them with Blast, uh, you know, at the start of round two, instead of going to the right, but then at the last minute, he moved the middle one out of the, <laughs> out of the center of that formation, so I was like, oh, good, thank you. I'm really glad I did that, because there was nothing to Blast at that point. <laughs> But he almost got me with that like little uh, presentation of like, look at these three figures next to each other. Don't you want to blast them? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so glad I didn't quite take the bait on that. Um, um, but yeah, that was the match I played. Really fun. I love Sabs. I just love doing all that blast damage. It's like it's very uh, explosive and uh, kind of speaks to the Timmy in me. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, do we yeah, want to yeah. move? Oh, um, and go ahead, Wesley, if you had anything you want to say about that. I just thought it was uh, interesting how you were, when you had activated Kotun, you played Heart of Freedom. Uh, you did that in part to get Kotun out of Tempt range. And I think that Tempt is one of those abilities that, at least for me, I see in general people don't really think too much about it until it's the Imperial player's turn to activate Pelp. And he's just looking for which figure has one health. Ah, uh, so I have a little secret about that, actually. Um, I didn't realize I did had gotten her out of temp range until after the game when Josh told me. <laughs> <laughs> I just did it for the movement points. Right. <laughs> and I happened to recover. I almost didn't do it. And then I like I moved her, and then I moved her back, and I said, you know what, I'm going to play Heart of Freedom. And Josh was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I just was like, I just want the movement because I want to kill that ISB that's like two spaces away uh from, right. that she needed to get to and i i had looked at like the damage i had um was looking at the dice and i was like i can actually one shot this if i get decently lucky and he doesn't roll cuz uh, she spends a power, she had a power token to give herself so i didn't have to worry about dodges you know cuz he'd be rolling two white dice and he actually rolled a blank and a dodge so <laughs> it was pretty much a blank and i had i had to reroll the sing- the one um red cuz again i'm always thinking about zillow and you know when you're playing against an empire player in, in um, skirmish, that's something you really have to always just always be thinking about. You're always thinking about Zillow because it affects, it informs your rerolls, it informs what kind of mods you use or cards you play. And if you don't, cause you have to do all of that before the Zillow player does their Zillow stuff, you know, and adds a block. So you have to right. think do that ahead of time. You have to be thinking about it ahead of time. You can't react to it. The Zillow player gets to react, which is what makes it so powerful. And so, mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, at, at that point I was looking at the die roll and I was like, oh, this is seven exactly. And I was like, does he just die? And then I'm like, oh, no, no, Zillow. So I have to re-roll. Um, right. Which is scary because he had not played Tough Luck yet. And I am I get very nervous about Tough Luck now when I re-roll because it's gotten so much more common. Um, yeah. yeah, we have seen that a lot. But uh, he kill, it killed him. So anyway, um, but yeah, so I just wanted to say that the, the attempt play was completely by accident. I also told Josh he was running um, Smuggling Compartment, mm-hmm. um, which goes really nicely with Thrawn. He was telling me Thrawn's ability to manipulate the top of um, both players' decks. And I told him if I had drawn either of my spy cards, I would have played them right into your smuggling compartment because I was not thinking about it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I have not gotten got by it yet. Like, you know how, like, you play against something and you get got by it, and then you never get got by it again, right? I've not had the pleasure of getting got by smuggling compartment. I've only seen it happen to other people. But I feel like now that I have, like, realized I would have gotten got by it, I know that I'm not going to in the future. I'm going to see it and be like, oh, don't get caught by that. <laughs> don't, don't play... Uh... No, we had a, a four-player game for that one league several months ago. One person was playing Spies, but myself and one other player had Smuggling Compartment. So all the Spy cards went to the one unfortunate soul that wasn't running Smuggling Compartment. Oh, wow. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Um, oh, one more thing that happened that was interesting, because again, I don't know if this is going to go on YouTube, but um, I had uh, we had a moment where his ISB went to activate and played Urgency, and um, I was I looked at it and I saw, well, he needs that to get Line of Sight to Kotun, but if he doesn't, he can still attack R2, and so I decided to play... Um, Calm Disrupt on it. I had been saving my Calm Disrupt until this, thinking it would be, like, a, saving it for a more critical card, and I thought, okay, this is it. Um, so I played Con- Calm Disrupt on his Urgency, and he was thinking for a minute. So I knew I really disrupted his plans, right? Because he, like, goes back in the tank, and he's trying to think about what he's going to do now. And then he comes back and he says, wait, you can't play that. <laughs> uh, because ISPs, uh, they... They have that ability, and it's during their activation. Uh, you can't oh, play command cards. So all of their command cards are unnegatable during their activation, so you couldn't negate either, which, for some reason, you know, it always come up, came up that that was just like a anti-defensive tech, right? Yeah. It's like that's something that comes up when they're attacking. It's, for some reason, I think it's come up before, but it's just not been so long since it's happened. It just totally blanked on me that you can't negate or calm disrupt them during their activation. Um, So that was pretty, I thought that was actually pretty cool. And I mean, you know, a little bit of a play mistake by me, but Josh caught it, thankfully. And I'm glad he did, because that that was a big um, moment in the game. So I'm glad he did catch that. Uh, But just something to think about, like when you're, if you're playing ISBs, like, you don't have to worry about your movement cards getting disrupted by your opponent. Yeah. Yeah, ISPs seem really good for that. They're definitely a high-skill figure group. Like, they're fun and they're strong, but you you do need to, like, really position them correctly. So, like, I know, like, Josh is really good. I think he's got some games up on YouTube with that list. And then um, Kyle was using them really well. He was doing... 
the um, Death Trooper plus covering fire trick instead of uh, instead of wait, what is that? What is it called? Not covering fire, suppressive fire. Right. Um, instead of Palpatine motivation, yeah. so he would put suppressive fire on a Death Trooper. Um, he would have the Death Trooper activate. Uh, suppressive fire, use suppressive fire to move an ISB up into position, and then when the ISB activated, it was in position to do the thing where the second one comes, moves up, attacks, and then the first one can attack and do coordinated raid with both of its actions. So, okay, well, I think we've talked enough about that. Um... All right, so uh, we'll do some housekeeping here and uh, go over some of the weekly community updates that have come in. Uh, All right, latest updates in Imperial Assault news for the week of September 26, 2022. First is a small update from the Imperial Commander 2 app. They have made an announcement that in their upcoming fall update, there is going to be a campaign tracker that's added. So this is a way for you to track your progress in your campaigns. It can be your regular campaigns or the ones you're doing in the app. Uh, So that's going to allow you to track all your progress through your campaign, including your heroes, your XP, your credits, etc., what missions are active, all of that stuff. So that's pretty cool. And then um, in bigger news... Uh, we've posted the tournament full lists from the September 10th uh, Vassal Tournament uh, for all the lists that went two and uh, two wins or better. Uh, so the full lists have been posted up there. And then the biggest news um, that I waited to post this for was the um, official documents page on the ICP website has been updated. First thing you'll notice is that we have downloaded and backed up all of the FFG rules documents, so all of the uh, official FFG rules PDFs, the most recent versions of each one. Uh, We've uploaded it to the uh, ICP Google Drive and made them available uh, to download from anyone, so in case the uh, FFG page ever goes down, you'll have all of these rules available. We've also linked uh, Posi's consolidated rules, uh, which is really helpful. The other big update is the Season 7 official changes in FAQ has been updated for the Season 7 approved play period. Uh, there's been a lot of FAQs added. You can see all the new uh, stuff that's been added in this version will be uh, highlighted in blue. You can see that there's a lot of cards that have gotten either updated or new FAQs added. Uh, but the thing that I am most excited about is that now all of the images in the um, document are hyperlinked. So when you go to the PDF, you can click on any of the thumbnails and it will open a larger version of the image. We'll make it a lot easier to use this document to read all the ICB cards. A lot of them are quite small and some of these, I mean, these command cards are not too difficult, but once you get to some of the, especially the older ICP cards that came out, it can be, the text can be a little small to deal with when you're looking at it at that size. Uh, so now there is a much easier way to do it, to click on it and look at it that way. So definitely check it out if you're an ICP player. Also check out all the FAQs that were updated as well. Okay, we're back. Um, so now we're going to go into a segment I call Comms Chatter. So this is where I'm going to go We go over uh, maybe an interesting comment or something 
uh, a message or something that somebody sent to the podcast, either uh, through the YouTube channel or through email. So if you want to have your comment featured, leave a comment down below if you're looking at the YouTube video, or send an email to iacommand01 at gmail.com, and I'll read your message all over the air if it's appropriate and reasonable. And so we had one comment on last week's episode on YouTube, and I just wanted to share this. It's kind of a nice, just a nice comment. Um, it, the, so last week's episode was why people should give Skirmish a try if uh, they haven't already thought about doing so. And we had a comment from Geokami who says they love these podcasts. Thank you. And they just recently got their friend to try Skirmish, and now their friend is asking when they can play Skirmish again. So uh, I thought that was great. Glad to hear that our uh, skirmish evangelizing has been uh, successful or that other people are being successful in getting their friends to try skirmish because it's a ton of fun. Yeah, it definitely is. Okay, so now let's move on to the rules question of the week. So this is where we take a look at a rules question from the community that uh, we thought was interesting. And I have a rules question that's actually for campaign uh, instead of for skirmish, but it it has implications for skirmish, so skirmish players should um, pay attention and take note of this one. So the question was, in campaign, and let me... um, bring up the Board Wars card database because I want people to be able to see this ability. So in campaign, when you're playing Onar Koma, um, can his rush ability be used during deployment? Um, Because it says when a a friendly figure... What is it? The the watermark's covering the image. Uh, When you enter a space adjacent to a small figure, you may push that figure up to one space. Limit once per activation. So the question is, during deployment, you know, all the rebels enter um, the battlefield at the same time onto the deployment point. So technically, Onar is entering a space adjacent to another hero. So can he use Rush during deployment to push that hero um, before round one starts? And the relevant rule here that prevents this from happening is that it says any ability that says limit once per activation you can only use that ability during an activation so um, rush can only happen when an activation happens and that also means that if like a um, is it when he enters a space oh yeah when so it's, it doesn't matter when imperial figures enter spaces adjacent to him but um, if he was like moving between um, activations, like if he was moving during the status phase for some reason, he wouldn't be able to use Rush as well. Right. Um, I'd actually not considered the the implication of doing it on spawn um, when I read through this question. I was considering someone maybe had Hera as an ally that they were bringing in and using that to give Onar a movement point to then try to rush somebody else. But yep. that Limit activation still seems like a, a cap on that. Yeah, and I believe that was a rule that came up because of um, another hero, which was Drakata. So, Drak- Is that, does she have a deployment move? No, but she has her um, demolish ability. Is there's no timing window on it, 
it's just like it, it just has a string cost and then tells you what to do, like to place the token. So when she first came out, people were like, well, this doesn't say during your activation, so can you just do this like whenever? Um, I think that actually did get errated, so it's during her activation, but like you can't just do it during any activation. Um, I guess it's not a good example because this one doesn't really explain why you can only do it during Dracata's activation. <laughs> but I'm trying to find one... Um, that's in skirmish that would be applicable here because I thought there was I think like ISP infiltrators have that ability nope somebody does but anyway um, it is relevant to elements of surprise might be one. Oh yeah that might be well that's um right because that one is not have to do the start you... of your activation. Yeah, that one's weird because it says your activation, but you can actually use it during any activation. Um, but you have to use it during an activation. So that one's a little bit weird. Um, but if you get an end-of-round attack with Han Solo off or Darth Vader, um, they're not going to be able to play Elements of Surprise, even if they get a movement into position or something like Call the Vanguard, letting you move and then attack. Because... Uh, it is not currently anyone's activation when you do these things, and so Elements of Surprise doesn't have an activation window to reference on whether you started it or not in line of sight to that figure. Right, exactly. Um, it is also relevant for abilities that say once per round, um, which I think there's like just a couple um, that are relevant, but like, because I think this came up with Bib Fortuna where it was like once per round I'm trying to think what it was i can't remember but <laughs> if it's if ability says once per round um you can't use that ability before a round starts so like during setup um so kind of a similar rule there so anyway yeah i thought that was the most interesting one we saw and it was for campaign so that's that was interesting yeah definitely nice Okay, well, should we jump into our main topic here? Yes. All right, so we're going to be talking about the, the the different game modes in Imperial Assault, which there are quite a few now. When the game came out, it had two. It had Campaign and it had Skirmish. Uh, and so it's diversified quite a bit thanks to both um, FFG uh, changing things around and uh, fan-made modes coming out. Although, to be honest, it's just more skirmish modes and more campaign modes. Right. Um, although I think the app mode is pretty different from campaign in a lot of ways, but we'll we'll get into that in a moment here. So, um, I'll just list off the ones I have, just so we can get kind of a bird's-eye view, and then we'll jump in to them. So... Uh, again, to list them, we have uh, skirmish mode, uh, you know, traditional skirmish mode. Um, we have the ICP version of skirmish, which is kind of its own thing at this point. Um, same rules as skirmish, but different card pool. Uh, we have multiplayer skirmish, which is mostly four-player skirmish, um, which has its own rule set. However, there is also um, fan-made maps. I've made a couple for three-player skirmish. 
Um, then there's campaign, the traditional campaign mode that came, comes with the core box that people are pretty familiar with, I think. Then we have the Legends of the Alliance uh, app campaign, which is uh, pure co-op. Uh, next we have the print-and-play um, co-op uh, sort of automated fan-made mode, which is the Red Jacks automated Imperial or Emperor variant. Um, so it's R-A-I-V-R-I-E-V, and that's a printed custom set of rules that are meant to um, automate and simulate the Emperor player during a game, or at least... Uh, Make it so you can play against play against it without uh, an emperor player, and then um, finally we have Imperial Commander Two, uh, which is the Imperial Commander app, which is sort of a recreation, a fan recreation of the Legends of the Alliance app, uh, combined with like digital version of the RAIVREV system. It has two different game modes, so. Um, I didn't list it here, but there's also some more custom variants that are a little bit too niche from uh, for what I wanted to get into. But like, um, I know they play a lot of Hunger Games over in the Britain, <laughs> in England. They have a variant where they make this big custom map and they use campaign heroes and everybody. It's like a free for all, and there's like stashes stashed around the map, and people take turns and they're running around and they can attack each other, and it's very. It's Hunger Games, like it says. Um, I think there's a sounds P- like something we're sleeping on. <laughs> there's a PDF floating around out there with the rules that you could probably find. Um, it's not something I've ever done or seen played, so I can't really speak to it. But I know they they really enjoy it over there in the uh, in the British Isles. And I think we also left the raid missions out of this list, right? Oh, that's right. And I will we will cover that. So I'll put that under. Um, Legends of the Alliance. Right. That is an important one. Thank you for reminding me. Um, yeah, were there any other like custom modes that you're aware of that maybe we should just shout out? I don't think so. I was surprised to learn about Hunger Games. <laughs> okay. Um... So let's just briefly talk about Skirmish, since we already talked about it um, in the last episode, so definitely check that out if you guys are interested in learning more about Skirmish. But um, Oh, that's why my mic is so low. There we go. Um, yeah, so... Oh, wow, that's really loud. Um, so Skirmish is, for those that don't know, it comes with the core box. It's basically you take you're taking the deployment cards from... Uh, campaign, as well as um, special deployment cards that are just for uh, the rebels instead of using their campaign heroes, and you are playing on special maps just for skirmish. Uh, you make you use the deployment cards. You build an army of 40 deployment points, and you build a command deck out of the command cards, 15 com- cards with 15 points, and then both you and your opponent will deploy in uh, the deployment zones listed on the map. You play the objective, and it's symmetrical. First player to get to 40 points scored, a combination of either killing your opponent's figures or um, scoring the objectives, wins the match. So it's a head-to-head competitive mode, and it's a lot of fun. Um, If you're a competitive player, uh, or you only have two people, 
uh, or you want a more symmetrical game mode, you know, we kind of talked about all of this. Skirmish is a really good game for you. If you're interested in being in part of a larger community, um, Skirmish is also a great option because, um, I mean, the campaign people talk about campaign, but, you know, you can really get into the skirmish community online and get uh, skirmish games played, I think, a lot easier than it is to try to find an online group to do a campaign online. Um, but, yeah, any any comments on skirmish? Yeah, I think uh, when we look at how long it takes, uh, skirmish is going to be the quickest. Uh, putting aside the setup and teardown, which every mode is going to have its own version of. But, you know, you play around of skirmish, you're not dedicating to several, several missions... And I do see that in campaign, the later missions where people get more and more abilities, it takes longer and longer to sort out what people are going to do. Uh, so I think when you want something quick, quick, easy, Skirmish is going to be the way to go. Yep. It's also got so many maps that you don't have to just play the competitive ones if you want to... I think there's one where you have Han Solo and Carbonite in the middle of the map... Uh, definitely not competitive, but there was some kind of 10 VP objective in the middle. Uh, but if you want to play that, go ahead. You know, you can, there are so many missions that are just off the walls, not balanced, but look like a lot of fun to try to interact with in Skirmish. So you still get that kind of campaign element of interacting with something new, doing something unique and crazy in the game, if you want to deviate from a normal competitive mindset and just do a casual fun game. Yeah, there is definitely a lot of variety available in skirmish missions. I think also, like, if you're someone who's played campaign a lot and you've played through all the campaigns and you've played through all the... you played through everything, like, skirmish is the game type that keeps on giving. It's It really is, like, the highest variety within similar playthroughs because every game it's like chess right every game is going to be different you're going to have different lists each time or some or somebody might have different lists each time um and it's always going to play out slightly differently um and you're going to be able to make stories from like even if you're playing on the same missions over and over you're going to have different stories each time you play that are generated by the players rather than by the game mode itself um, so I find that Skirmish is the most rewarding for the long-term player that just wants to keep playing and jamming games. Um, it, it, it's really nice that way. Like, you know, you play through a campaign, and then you play it again, you're like, okay, I know what happens, I know the story, I know I know what's behind that door, I know what uh, is going to happen in this mission. It, it, loses some, it loses some of that um, replayability each time you play a campaign again, um, but not so with Skirmish. With Skirmish, it's like, you're always playing against the other player across from you, not against the scenario for the most part. So you're like, what is he, what are they going to do this time? What strategies did my opponent come up with? Or if you're playing against someone new, like, how does this person play the game? What what are they going to do? How are they going to play this map? And they maybe they're playing it in a way you've never seen before. So, um, yeah, sorry, I don't want to get too much into why Skirmish is awesome, but uh, I forgot to say that in the last episode. Yeah, I mean, to summarize your your idea here. We have three maps and we're stuck with them for four months at a time in this community and we never run out of new stories to tell on those three maps. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. And, and what Wesley's referring to is that in tournament play there are three designated maps each rotation that are tournament maps um, and those change every 17 weeks so that's four months. 
uh, and right, like you said, infinite infinite variability and replayability. Right. Okay, but let's move on to uh, multiplayer skirmish, which we didn't. I don't think we talked about it at all in the last episode. Uh, oh, where did that image go? I wanted to bring up this uh, four-player map, but multiplayer skirmish is. Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> Sorry, I'm struggling with my uh, search engine. Multiplayer skirmish is you have four players instead of two, and you can. There we go. You can play um, either as a team, so two v two, or you can play as a free for all, and both are a lot of fun. Um, have you? Do you have any experience with uh, multiplayer skirmish? Yep, just two times so far. I haven't gotten into teams yet, but it has been a couple of uh, four-way matches, and I think that the the different maps play very differently. But what's most fun is the politics that you're allowed to get into when you have a four-player match. When you have abilities that say, you know, attack one enemy or pick one opponent and do this to them. Uh, and then you have someone go, well, if you don't use that ability against me, I promise not to attack you uh, next round when you're vulnerable. And then you've got to make a decision there. Uh, but whatever you do, you might turn two or three other people against you. Yeah, that's interesting. I've not seen the politics come into play, although I imagine it would be a thing. Because um, I'm a big like commander player in Magic, so I love four-player free-for-alls. Um, I love the politics. I do find, and I think in four-player, because you're geographically positioned next to other players, it's there's less opportunities for like well, don't attack me and I'll do this for you because, well, they can only really choose one other person to go after, right? So it's not like they have free access to everybody on the table, but it is cool when it does happen. Yeah. Um, I think my first uh, first map was playing Wookiees and I had a line ambush set of uh, Wookiee warrior elites, right? And they're going to drop in someone's deployment zone in the middle of round two. End of round one, one of my opponents, who was looking like a good target for line ambush, uh, activated HK-47 and basically said, okay, if you promise not to put your line ambush Wookiees in my deployment zone, I will not make you discard a card right now with HK, and he won't (laughs) attack you. And I really wanted those cards, so I agreed to it. And half a round later, the whole situation had changed, he is now very much the best person to put the uh, lion ambush in. And it then comes to the question of do you keep your reputability or do you just do what's best for you in the moment and know that no one's going to trust you later? Because no matter what deals you make, the, you can always go back on them. You know, Nothing in the rules is going to hold you to that word. Uh, so there's always that tension and drama of <laughs> is he going to go through with it? Right, absolutely. Um, and there, for those who are wondering, there's no official three-player map variants, but there are some fan-made ones, including um, I've made a three-player variant, um, like th- three-player map that you can try and play on, and it's been a it's been somewhat play tested by the community. Um, and you definitely want a three-player map if you're going to play with three-player skirmish, because if you play 
three players on a four-player map. One of them is going to get ganged up on just by the way the deployment zones are arranged, so it doesn't really work. Um, Never on Garrison might make a good three-player map if you put the third deployment zone in that green area. Yeah, I've heard. Right. I've heard people suggest that. I've heard um, Endor Defense Station suggested as another one. Um, I wish these were labeled on this, but uh, there's a couple of like one-player maps. But they, yeah, you can probably do that. So Endor Defense Station and Devron Garrison are ones to to think about trying. Okay. Um, so that's four-player skirmish. Uh, next we have... Okay, so campaign. I mean, those are the kind of the... T- oh, you know what we forgot to talk about? Uh, ICP skirmish. So that's the next one we should mention. So, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably pretty familiar with ICP, but if you're uh, coming in looking... You know, you're not too perf- super familiar. Uh, what ICP is, is it's the IA Continuity Project. Um, so this is a... F- a community-organized attempt to rebalance the skirmish mode. Um, for those that don't know, the original skirmish for FFG, um, it had some of its own internal balance. Like, it found an equilibrium, but a lot of the cards were just not playable um, in skirmish in the competitive mode. I would say, like, over two-thirds of the cards in the original skirmish game are just not playable. Which is a shame because that includes a lot of like iconic characters and iconic f- troop types. Um, so the idea be- behind um, ICP was to bring those cards back into the fold competitively to open up more options, but also to keep adding new figures to the game in um, absence of FFG discontinuing it. So FFG no longer supports Imperial Assault. They're not releasing new content. Uh, They're not releasing any new figures for Skirmish, which um, is hard when you're like a competitive game. These types of games rely on a constant uh, feed of new content to keep um, spicing up the meta, to keep giving people new options to play with and make it interesting. Because otherwise you just start playing the same list over and over that were the best lists at the time the meta gets solved. Um, So the ICP, the idea is um, these are all playtested pretty rigorously, both internally and um, publicly through a public playtesting forum. Um, And you get really cool figures that you don't have in the base game, like the Mandalorian. You know, the Mandalorian's in uh, is in ICP as a card that you can play in Skirmish. Um, so are like IG-11, so are like Cassian, Andor, um, Cad Bane Bane is in here, um, and there's no like official figures that have been released for these, um, that you can buy from ICP, ICP is totally fan made and free, um, that's important to note is we don't make any profit on this project, uh, it's all... Um, done as a service to the community, to the Imperial Assault community. And so you can't buy anything from us, um, and we won't take your money. But if you look around, you can find figures that correspond to a lot of the stuff in ICP, especially like Star Wars Legion. Um, they're actually behind us a lot of the time. We're actually ahead of them in terms of getting stuff um, into the game because we don't have to deal with um, Lucasfilm. Sure. Um, 
And they do, but like Cassian is is released, and he has a Legion figure. Um, just recently, they I think they did IG Eleven and Mandalorian came out with Legion figures. Um, so, and then some of the stuff is not like Bib Fortuna, but if you look around on like Etsy, you can find a lot of custom miniatures that you can use to replace these. And of course, um, ICP plays. We play a lot of a lot of games online, uh, mostly because of the pandemic forced a lot of play online. So that's where a lot of our presence is, but we're trying to expand to uh, more in-person play, so keep, stay tuned on that for more organized play support for in-person play. Um, and then finally, ICP is really the current way to play Skirmish. Um, if you're looking for like vanilla FFG, uh, there's no online community for that that I have seen, where people are actively playing that version of Skirmish. So if you're looking to get into like the living version of the game where people are actually playing it and talking about it um icp is pretty much that from what i've seen yep definitely and if you're apprehensive about dealing with a million new figures and cards all at once or if you're new to the game i wouldn't worry too much about that you know just go in with a good spirit uh, throw some characters you like together hopefully icp cards you find those and they're a little more playable if uh, you've got some figures that really weren't in FFG. You find someone to play against. The community is really nice and welcoming, uh, whether online or in person. You find someone, and you play out a few matches, and then you learn what else exists in IACP. Yeah, and if uh, you're if you're <laughs> yeah, if you're a vet, like if you are familiar with the skirmish cards from the original game, like yes, we've changed a lot of them. But if you really look at them, you'll be like. Oh yeah, this looks like pretty familiar to what it it used to do. Like <clears throat> a lot of times, it'll be hard to even spot what the differences are because they're pretty subtle uh, in a lot of cases. But um, and then if you're like brand new to the game and it looks overwhelming, um, it's really not that much different from coming into any like lifetime legacy game. Like imagine going into coming into a game like magic that's like 30 years old right like you've got 15,000 cards same for some anything like you know any of those card games or like warhammer those games are so old they have so many cards and and stats and units uh that are also all changing constantly so um you just like you said like wesley said just kind of if you're interested there's a lot of fun to be had and it's way more balanced than the original skirmish game there's so much variety and diversity like you can really play anything you want and and it's probably going to be viable and as far as like getting your feet wet you just got to dive in and kind of like just just browse around like you don't have to figure it all out at once you just kind of look at it card by card and be like oh this is neat or this is cool or i wonder if this character is in here oh yeah there they are and put them in a list and play around with it and you know you don't have to be a master at all at once right from the very start you you kind of just grow and and you get into it right so that's my rant um <laughs> no um you know the i the four player games i have played have been with the icp format so you can definitely do that as well yeah i should mention that icp has not changed any rules uh, i mean we've added some rules for like new card types and stuff like that uh, but all of the core original rules are still the same. That's been a founding tenet of ICP is like same game, new cards. We don't want to change the game the way it was played because then it's not the game that people fell in love with. Um, 
So, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of ICP, if you can't tell. So, moving on. So, that covers all the skirmish games modes. Um, and now let's talk about campaign. So, campaign um, is a one versus many mode. Um, I'm trying to figure out what I want to put up on the screen for that. <laughs> um, it's one versus many. It's multiple games played in succession with the same components and the same figures and the same people. Um, you have one player who is the Empire player uh, that plays as all the Imperial minions and troops, and they are controlling the mission parameters, or at least guiding the players through the mission parameters. And then you have one to four players playing as the Rebel heroes, um, who are uh, have these hero sheets that I'm trying to put up on the screen, that have... Uh, you know their main abilities and attributes, and they have uh, they, you have to equip weapon cards to attack. It's it's quite a bit different from skirmish, but it uses a lot of the same core rules like movement and dice uh, and line of sight, etc. Um, there's like you get XP similar to a dungeon crawler. I mean, it is a dungeon crawler, but similar to like an RPG. Uh, the heroes get XP, as does the imperial player. Uh, and you can spend it on getting new skills for your hero, and the skills are specific to each hero. Um, so you can't, it's not like a class base like um, Descent is. It's like each hero has their own set of upgrade cards that they can spend XP on. You also get money at the end of each mission, so you can buy items and weapons. And so you're, everybody's growing and getting stronger through each mission, and you campaigns last between four missions, which is an accelerated campaign called a mini campaign, or up to ten missions, sometimes eleven, depending on um, like extra force missions and stuff like that. And uh, the, the, the side it's competitive, so it's the rebels versus the empire, and whoever wins the final mission, regardless of who won all the other missions, is the winner of the campaign. Um... So yeah, that's uh, campaign in a nutshell. Uh, Wesley, what do you what do you think about vanilla campaign? Yeah, um, I think it actually can go up to fourteen missions uh, if you do enough forced missions, which is long. Uh, I think campaign is good. There is a a little interplay here of depending on what kind of players your group are. If your DM your dungeon master type player, your overlord, uh, whether he's going to play this like a game that's competitive where it's you versus him, or what I see more often is, you know, newer players, they just want to throw dice against the table and get together and have fun. Uh, and the DM player plays it more like a dungeon master of a role-playing game would, where they say, okay, well, I'm going to throw some stormtroopers at you. I'm going to oh, do all these cool, crazy events. You know, once in a while, Darth Vader's going to show up and be scary but I'm not going to look at the mechanics and try to exploit them to uh, dominate you guys. I'm going to try and make some interplay back and forth, make it challenging, but try to get you guys to be the heroes of the game. And there's there's been so many threads uh, on you know the the interplay there of which kind works for each group. Uh, Noah, did you have something to add to that aspect? Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's, I've seen it played both ways, um, where usually you see people talk about, like, 
you want to just be a DM. You don't want to be like an enemy of the players. God, why isn't the PDF not working? I just want to put this camp- campaign log up so people can see. Um, <clears throat> this is like a sample campaign. Um, and I've seen also people who just want to play competitive. Like they want to really go all out and push the system to its limits and be like, what can I put together that's like really powerful and you know, which is something that people enjoy is some people just exploiting a game system to see how far they can push it and if they can break it. Um, because then you get to be powerful. It's a, what do you call it? I think it's called munchkining Mm, in in like role-playing games. Um, so you can totally be a munchkin. Uh, no, I guess that's where you, uh, that's where you put all your stuff on one character so maybe that's not the right word. I guess min-maxing would be um, yeah. technically correct. Um, and there's some broken stuff in campaign that you can do. Um, so, you know, if you're... Honestly, if you're looking for a competitive experience, I do have to say skirmish is probably what you're looking for. But it is there in campaign if you want to pursue it. Um, it is a competitive mode. Like, let's make no let's make no bones about this. Like... This is a competitive game mode of one side wins and one side loses. It's a zero-sum game. Uh, it's not a co-op game. It is, you know... And you can have teams on both sides. I've seen people do this, too, where they split up more evenly and they have two players playing on the Imperial side. And um, two one player controls, like, the cards and one player controls the figures. And they take, like, they split it up or, one, or they have, you know, each controlling uh, certain uh, deployment groups... Um, which, you know, can be, uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, because some sometimes you have just an entire deployment group that wiped out before it gets to activate, since Rebels always activate first in campaign. Um, right. But that's been a more of a way to, like, make it more of a, like, I don't know, equal experience, whereas the campaign, in campaign, the Empire player generally is thought to have an advantage, uh, unless the Rebel players are very experienced and really know what they're doing, um, because the Empire player has all the knowledge of the game, they usually own the game, so they are more knowledgeable of rules and strategies, and they get to plan more, uh, for each mission, because they get to, they're supposed to look at the mission ahead of time to set it up, um, which means that, of course, they have access to the information. They also know all of the hidden information in each mission, whereas the Rebels are kind of flying blind, and they have to react um, to things that are surprises, and they don't get to really plan for things. So it's very imbalanced. It's not a balanced competitive experience, but it's a lot of fun because you get to watch your, your either your character grow or your powers as the Empire player grow. Uh, as you go through the campaign and you get to do some really cool stuff as uh, either a hero or controlling the armies of the Empire. Now, if you do have five people in your gaming group, I think this is going to be the way to go. Um, you know, there's, not, there's not too many bones around it unless you want to just throw a fifth hero onto the Rebel side and play one of the other modes we're going to talk about next and unbalance things a little bit. But uh, traditionally, you know, if you're going to do it that way, two to five players... Uh, it it would be best, I think, in a lot of situations, like you said, Noah, it is sold and marketed and created as a competitive, asymmetrical experience. But I do see a lot of uh, posts where people tend to want to treat it more like a D&D game or like, you know, go soft on their players and make sure they're having a good time, which I think is another valid way to play. 
as long as you keep in mind that it's not the way that it's sold to be played or created to be played. Yeah, I think that's the correct way to play, especially, or especially, but when you're playing with new rebels, like if you're an Imperial player trying to get people to play this game with you, if the rebels are new or if it's their first campaign, you really do kind of want to just softball it to them. Like it can become very demoralizing when they're getting crushed and it tends to snowball as well as the other problem with campaign. Like the winner gets more prizes than the loser. So each mission, and that's the whole point, right? Is you're trying to, you're winning these missions so you can be more powerful than the other side uh, in the finale. And so it tends to snowball though, where the, whoever won the last mission, they're going to be more powerful in the next mission, and then they're probably going to win that one, and then so on and so forth. So there's actually a lot of um, house rules to help prevent that, but you can look those up online. I think one of the creators made it so, like, if you win, like, the, your third game mission in a row, like, then both sides get the winning um, prizes. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I wanted to say... Um, you mentioned, yeah, if you have five players, campaign is probably is really the only option. Um, and it, you can even add more players through the use of like allies, mm-hmm. or like I said, having like two people on the empire team. That's another way to do six players if you have six. Um, but although I tell people like if you have that many players, just run a skirmish tournament. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? Why are you playing campaign? Yeah. But of course, campaign's awesome. So of course, people want to play campaign. Um, but you can also you don't need five to play is something I should mention, and you don't need to use the the alternate player count cards. So the campaign will tell you if you have less than five people, you should use um, you should have each player take one hero, and then you, they have these like upgrade cards where if you have three rebel heroes, the it's called um, heroic. Heroic. So you still have four activations. Uh, but you pass one activation token between the heroes and they get more health. And then same thing, if you have two rebel heroes, it's like legendary, so you have two activations per hero, and they get like a ton more health. Um, general consensus is that is not a balanced way to play the campaign. It messes with a lot of the, what very little mission balance there actually is when you have uh, heroes that can basically move four times, you know, have four actions effectively, um, it screws up some missions against for the against the empire, and like when you have um, when you have only two heroes, but the mission is balanced for having four heroes in four different places, that can also really mess up um, the balance against the rebels. So it just messes things up in general. So you want to have four heroes um, every time you play, and then you just split them up between the players. Um, so if you have three players would have four rebel heroes and maybe you make one of them you know the donkey mule that um is healing everybody or carrying or, or doing like um opening doors or whatnot you know usually one hero ends up having to be that anyway so it kind of sucks to be that player um, in a campaign so sometimes it's better to just have that be like the designated um you know workhorse character yeah and then if you have two uh players two rebel players you give them two heroes each yeah I recently ran a campaign um, with three real humans playing. Uh, that's a weird way to say it, three players. <laughs> but they opted to go with the heroic route, and about halfway through the campaign, they had lost three of the four games. And I said, hey guys, I think you're going to have a better time if you create a donkey mule fourth guy that you all <laughs> control. Um, 
Because, yeah, you can have more people in more places, and I think in most cases the Empire benefits from seeing only three or two heroes on the map. Like, there are some cards that affect a hero for an entire round, Mm. and you can put that on the hero that has two activations that round, if it's heroic, and just be like, yeah, you're, you're twice as bad for twice as long, or... Oh yes, there's eight objectives around the map. Uh, you might have extra actions, but it would be better if you just had one guy go from the start and go left instead of everyone else going right and then also having to go back left. Yep. So, yeah, I think they should have gone for that. They didn't want to deal with the extra management of an extra hero. Uh, but the other thing that makes having that extra hero good is in each mission, the heroes get credits per hero. So if you're doing a three-hero game, you get maybe 300 credits at the end of the mission, but if it would have been four heroes, you get 400. And your donkey mule is probably not going to do any damage, and you want to build them based on their abilities, their support powers. So you don't really need to buy them items. So throughout a campaign that adds up to an extra 500, 1,000, something like that gold, you could use on your main heroes to make them even stronger. Yeah, I hadn't spent less actions wasted on objectives. I hadn't using those items. Go ahead. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that really until you had mentioned that in that thread. That like, because the the idea is that you're getting credits per hero because the game expects you to to divvy up the resources evenly between each hero, right? But you made a good point that like there's heroes that are. Uh, support heroes that you don't give them a weapon, you don't buy them armor, you just have them do their thing and you are buying everything else for the other three heroes. So in that case, yeah, it it actually does shortchange your money that you would get and your heroes end up being weaker than they would be uh, and then compared to a four-player game, which is really interesting. Um, I should mention, I think we didn't mention it, but the for... Um, campaigns there is a campaign in addition to the core box campaign there is one campaign in each of the expansion boxes um and there are three full-length campaigns although hardly empire is like slightly shorter than a normal one and then there's three uh mini campaigns and a mini campaign is four missions although in some cases you can expand it i know bespin gambit you can expand to five missions and Tyrants of Lothal, you can expand to seven missions uh, by including the figure packs that are associated with those boxes. Um, and each um, campaign does have branching mission routes. So, like, if you play a campaign a second time, there's often missions that were unplayed that you can um, play instead. And I, I do actually recommend to people, like, if you've already played a campaign and you know, usually it's based on whether you win or lose a mission, which mission you play next. I usually tell people, like, regardless of whether you win or lose, you should play the mission you didn't play last time, because otherwise, like, what's the point? Like, what's the point of replaying this campaign if you're just going to play the same missions again? Yeah, I've recently... um, The one I was running was Heart of the Empire. I was also currently a rebel in a Heart of the Empire campaign. And if I would be down to do one more Heart of the Empire campaign on either side, but I would definitely say, hey... We're going to run through these five missions I haven't done yet. <laughs> so I've already seen everything else this game has in this expansion. Yep. Okay, let's move on to the next um, and final kind of official game type, which is the Legends of the Alliance 
uh, app campaign. And I'm pulling up the uh, image here. Um, but yeah, so this is um, an app that was released by Fantasy Flight Games. Um, and it's for it's available for everything, so it's available on Steam and on um, iOS, right? And I think Android as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's just everywhere. Yeah, it's Free pretty game. much everywhere. Um, and this is a so this is kind of a different way to play. Um, it's it's a how do I explain this? It's so it's pure co-op. So there's no Empire player. The um, app handles all of the um, activations, and it does it through uh, these little, like, it has special rules for how to move and activate the Imperial figures, um, and it gives you instructions on what to do, but it doesn't track their movement on the table, so it's not like a video game, really. It's more like you have to keep track of everything on the table physically, and then the app kind of tells you what the mission parameters are, and then it tells you, like, here's the Imperial figure you should activate next, and here's what they should do. But you have to figure out, based on the instructions, like what exactly that means they're supposed to do. Um, Which there are rules for. Yeah, and there's rules for it. tells you like what engage means. It tells you what how it works. They, they do move differently than campaign, so a lot of the rules are different than regular campaign um, in order to give the uh, Empire figures a bit more of an advantage because, of course, they're not being controlled by an intelligent human. Uh, it's a very rudimentary, like um, AI. It's not. Even, it's not real AI, right? It's like, what do you call that? Um, uh, not a formula. A uh, uh, algorithm. yeah, algorithm. Thank you. It's uh, just a very simple algorithm that the they're following. And then the other thing that's different is that it's um, the campaign is its own thing. It's based around the core box campaign and then two expansion campaigns like um, thematically but it's not the same missions it doesn't use the campaign books uh, missions it uses its own missions designed for the app for the app campaign um, it right. doesn't uh, oh sorry go ahead yeah I was just gonna get into you know my experience with it this is the this is basically the game mode that got us back into the game after dropping it for a few years. We said, I think we, we last played and kind of got eight missions into a campaign and then dropped it um, because people didn't like how, you know, how much it felt like it was against the Rebels at that point. I think I was running that one as well. Um, but a couple years later, we're like, oh, here's a co-op version. Uh, it'll run the enemy for us. Let's give this a shot. It was very accessible. You know, it's the official way to do it. Uh, and it does make a lot of use of the technology of hidden information. Like, the app has all this stuff pre-programmed, and until you've encountered it, you know, it can show you hidden information and have more text inside of it than you can typically see in a single page of a mission loadout on the main campaign game. And this was a very cool way to get back into the game. But these campaigns are also a lot shorter. They only run about five missions each of the three campaigns that are available. Yeah, which is actually kind of perfect, in my opinion. Like, it's kind of the perfect game length. Yeah. I, so the specific reason I chose to run Heart of the Empire is because I know that people were going to start getting disenfranchised after around eight missions. 
and uh, that that kind of happened quicker in my most recent case, but we got to the end, which was good. But with Legends of the Alliance, it's five missions. They do tend to seem to go on longer, though. I would say that. Because they kind of throw everything against the wall at you. Uh, they kind of see how much you can take with the algorithm and then just throw it all at you. Yeah, that's true. You're also doing a lot of busy work managing the app. Um, and then... Um, it, it kind of like it's a lot more work than you realize it will be. Um, and yeah, you, definitely. You kind of have to like. So for me, I mean, it's kind of um, it's almost, almost easier for me to just play against myself in the regular campaign. But the app is a lot of fun, and when you have people to play with, um, I think it's a really good co-op experience. And it it removes that competition like like competitive incentive and it removes that ambiguity of like well we're be, we're playing a competitive game but i don't want to like hurt your feelings so i'm going to play i'm going to pull my punches like there's none of that you can just be like i'm playing against the computer let's mess up this computer <laughs> let's mess up the <laughs> empire let's play as hard as we can exploit as much as we can like let's do it and, and uh, i like that um a lot more um, the game even has a high score based on how many units you defeat. It has a hard mode based on, I think it is just throw more units at you than you kind of typically be expected to handle. Yep. Um, and it also has, like, you can pick up allies, which is nice. Um, you can customize it based on your collection, so, like, it won't spawn things that you don't own physically. Although, annoyingly, you cannot turn off you can't turn off villains that are in the the box expansions, which I find annoying because that means if you tick Jabba's realm, um, you're gonna have Jabba like just randomly appearing next to other soldiers sometimes. Uh, and and similar for like Palpatine, if you check if you check off Heart of the Empire, like he'll just randomly show up and be like, "Mahaha, I'm here to mess up your day," and it uh, kind of takes you out of the moment sometimes, but it's still fun. Yeah, definitely. So fun. And I should say there are two expansion campaigns available for the app, which is Heart of the Empire. No, no, not Heart of the Empire. No, it's Return to Hoth. Return to Hoth and Jabba's Realm, right? Right. Jabba's Realm was actually pretty excellent. Like, I really liked the story they made up for that one and the way they handled the branching missions. I think that was actually my favorite of the app campaigns. I think Jabba's is the one that we've gotten a mission or two into, but it's the only one we haven't really played through but uh, it does look exciting to jump back into soon yeah so that's a good way to play um co-op and it's still an official we're still in the the land of official game modes so again you can it also mm-hmm. it also changes your progression that is a good note though um like i think instead of just building up all your xp and getting a four xp card two missions in you have to each mission win or lose you get like one new one new XP card from the next tier of XP cards. Right, so you beat mission one, you can get one single XP card. You beat mission two, you can pick the other one XP card or any two XP card you want. Um, and I think that does change with the way a lot of the heroes play. There's a lot of balance change in this version of the game, I'd say. Yes, um, which it helps, because I think if you could just rush to your 4 XP like you do in the regular campaign, it would be pretty uh, broken and easy to win. Um, 
I should mention again, there is uh, special rules for the app campaign, so you need to read the rule book for the app campaign. You can do that. There's a tutorial mission too, but you really want to have this rule book uh, PDF open so you can reference what the different uh, imperial commands mean for the the AI, as well as like how things work differently. Like stun works differently in the app. It's done dirty. Huh. They did stun pretty dirty. Yeah, but it's just so that it doesn't cripple the uh, yeah the AI. Um, a lot of it's just to give the AI an advantage, because otherwise it would just be too easy to to right. cripple the AI right. with different exploits. Um, so yeah, I think that's that does it for the app campaign. Um, oh, next up we have one last official game mode, um, which is the the raid mode. Let me pull this up. So the raid mode is similar to like horde mode in a video game, or like what was it, firefight in um, Halo for people who played you know first-person shooters. Um, it's basically you start on a map and then just hordes of enemies appear, um, and kind of you have like a, an, an objective that you're trying to do, but uh, it's mostly just like survive uh the enemies that come in uh it's kind of like a one-off mission like campaign mission basically uh, i'm trying to find a good mm-hmm. picture but uh here we go from the ffg uh, article um but yeah there's two currently two maps and there's only going to be two maps because of course they're not making any new content for this game um but uh one of them you have 3 XP total, or you can take 1, a 1 XP, a 2 XP, and a 3 XP, and you get credits and you get to buy from the armory. Um, and the other one you can go up to 4 XP. Um, and yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, what did you, have you played uh, Raid Mode? I have not. I just uh, happen to remember it because uh, this is a part of that same FFG app. Right. Uh, yeah, There's, it's. Is there a in-person version of this too, or is that just in nope, the app? No, it's on the app. So, um, I'm trying to pull up a, a some footage of the raid mode in action. So here you can kind of see I'm playing raid um, in one of my old videos, and um, it's a, like a high score based game. So it, unlike those other game modes I talked about, it's not endless waves of enemies. It's like one set. Uh, and you have enemies spawning over, like, I think six rounds. I think it lasts six rounds. Um, or something like that. Or until you win. I don't know. Uh, I don't remember. But um, uh, the idea is, like, you have all these objectives all over the board. And you get points for each uh, figure you defeat, each, like, Imperial figure you kill. And then you also get points for any of the objectives that you manage to score. And then at the end, you get a rating based on your how you did. Um, so you get like C to A uh, ranking. Or no, excuse me. It's a gold, platinum, gold, silver, bronze. Um, and so some figures are actually, some heroes are a little bit better at uh, uh, farming the objectives, which is really how you get a S or a platinum rank, because you need to farm. Um, but yeah, you can see on the top, it, it uses the same interface as the app campaign and it uses the same rules. Uh, but it's just instead of, uh, like 
uh, continuous multiple missions. You just you're just playing a one-off uh, big mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it, oh, go ahead. It does appear, uh, looking at the FFG site, these missions are made in ways that require you to have two expansions to play either of the maps. Yeah, so they actually use the expansions that were not used for the Legends of the Alliance mm-hmm. campaign. So um, they use Hoth and Jabba, right? So the raid maps use the remaining ones. So I think one is Bespin and Tyrants of Lothal, mm-hmm. and the other one uses Twin Shadows and Heart of the Empire. Right. So that's kind of neat how they mix the map tiles. It's something they normally don't do with expansions. I mean, for me, I feel like that's uh, more of a negative as someone who doesn't have Twin Shadows or Best Pink Campaign. <laughs> oh, so you can't play either. Um, they do... I think the map, the maps are available online as printable. That's true. They that's were true. supposed to release official um, playmats, but they never did, although some people claim they have, they have gotten them. You really mm-hmm. can't find them out in the wild. They were not really widely released before the game got shut down. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's fun. It's, it's again, it's like a one-off app campaign, just one mission. Um, and you do get to focus more on just killing stuff, which is, like, if that's your jam, if you don't really like being forced to, like, move through objectives and, and leave enemies on the table, the whole idea of raid is, like, you gotta kill stuff. So, uh, if you're, if you want to murder hobo it up in your... Imperial Assault campaign games, raid mode is a fun option. I think that's exactly what we could use, some murder hoboing in our games. Some people just really like it, right? Like, some people, a lot of complaints you see online is like, I don't like that there's objectives and I have to leave enemies alive. Like, (laughs) I just want to kill all the enemies and then we lose because the time runs out. So if that's your thing, like, I think raid mode. Because I don't think there is a time limit. I think it's like, you have to kill all the enemies, I think. I'm not sure, um, but I do know that it is, you know, kill all enemies, which is nice. Because I remember now what happens is if you take too long, as the turn count goes up, they start doing these, like, nasty events to you. Like, mm. these random events start happening that, like, you know, weaken all your figures and you take all, all your figures take too strain or, like, the enemies all become focused or something like that. And that's... That's Legends of the Alliance, too, I think, in a nutshell. There's no hard turn limit. You just start getting these events if you start taking too long. That's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's that's right. Okay, so that's raid mode. And now we're going to move into some of the fan-made campaign variants. So the first one we have is called R-A-I-V. So that is the uh, Red Jacks... Automated Emperor variant or Automated Imperial variant. So this is like one of the early, early, wait, even before the app campaign, attempts to create a co-op mode for campaign that removes the need for an Empire player. This is purely print and play, although there are some digital um, aids that were made for this. So the difference between the RAEV and the RAIV, and they're, two, they're made by the same guy, and I don't think he's updated in a long time, although I think somebody maybe took over the reins, but I haven't seen anything more recent than 2019. Um, so the RAEV is a, is a rule system that is meant to simulate the regular campaign as close as possible, 
but replace all of the emperor human actions with um, cards off the deck that tell you what to do. And so it's like you have these this deck of cards that represents the the um, emperor, and then for like activations and abilities, like off of command not command cards, uh, class cards and agenda cards, um, they're all laid out in a random order, and then you go through them left to right. So again, like a uh, why is that algorithm? It's very algorithmic in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there, there's randomness provided by the action deck, which will then tell you like target this rebel with during this activation, and then use these abilities. Um, um, so that's a way to sit if you want to have all the imperial class decks and agenda cards in play, and it tells you how to like buy class cards and buy agenda cards for the Imperial player. Um, But it's, again, it's not... There's no strategic thought behind all that. It's just random with a bit of a buff in how strong they are to compensate. So you're not really playing against a smart uh, entity. You're just playing against randomness. Um, The other one is, in my opinion, slightly better. The Imperial variant. Um, This creates more of a custom campaign rule set to give you a co-op mode. It's very similar to what they did for Legends of the Alliance. Um, instead of having, um, trying to like apply this randomness to each figure, uh, instead what they do is they have specific um, AI cards protocols for each unit type uh, that tells you how to activate them when they when they do activate. And then um, it does like a random event each round that is like, again, a, a, a negative for the rebels and makes things a little more challenging. It does away with all the class cards for the Empire as well as all the agenda cards. It replaces those with those random events. And it has rules for how to activate the, uh, the different the different units. And so it's basically just a way to kind of have... A goldfish, right? I think they call it goldfishing. Um, you're playing against a goldfish in a bowl, who is then just doing the rudimentary like um, activations as as someone who wants to play usually solo or co-op. Um, and the advantage of this over the Legends of the Alliance is that Legends of the Alliance needs um, a digital, you know, you need a digital device running. This is print and play. It's all paper. So you don't have to have any kind of advice going if that is something you don't like. Um, do you have any experience with this, Leslie, before I go on? Yeah, um, I do actually own a set of the the ones that just... They don't replace all of the AI and what they do. The ones that just are like, do your ability, then do your action, then do your move. And attack the rebel player with the green token because they assign colors to each hero to determine who becomes the priority. Yeah. Uh, I do get confused between the R-E-V and the R-A-I-V acronym, but... So, um, so the one you're yeah, just... I have... Yeah, that's R-E-V. That's the R-A-E-V one. Yep. Yep, so I have done a... I think a full campaign in R-A-E-V, and, you know, we were newer at the time, and I think if you're not someone who is in-depth with knowledge on the system of IA... Uh, it can be, you know, a competent enough enemy for you. Uh, there is the issue of getting things printed out. Uh, my friend used to own the collection of the game, and then when I bought it from him, I 
acquired that deck as well, so I didn't have to worry about that. Uh, but it is a lot of cards, but it was a lot of fun to not know what the opponent was going to do next round, because they're going to draw a card, and it's going to say either Blitz, they're going to do 20 things, or, yeah, we're going to attack Green, which is your guy that has two health, and finish her off. Or, we're going to attack a full health guy and get him to half health, but it's all randomized, right? And it was quite a lot of fun for uh, two people at the table, which is what we had, each playing a hero, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I could see this being, like, good if you needed a co-op, but I was looking for solo play at the time, and I just found the rules so confusing when I tried to do this. I printed out a set, too, for myself, and I just found the rules to be so confusing, and, like, a lot of the times I was ended up having to improvise on behalf of the Imperial player anyway, so I'm like, I'm just playing against myself anyway, I just might as well just... (laughs) play both sides, which is what I ended up doing for um, quite a while uh, between real um, campaigns with actual people, just so I could try out all the heroes and the missions and stuff, um, and I found that was easier than trying to do this. But the app campaign really... Um, I mean, the advantage of the app campaign of this over the app campaign is you actually get to play the book, campaign book missions rather than the just-for-the-app missions. Um, so this is a way to do that, to get to experience those missions, but without um, playing against yourself. Right. Um, but we're going to move on to the next option, which I think really has kind of made this a bit obsolete, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think this is our last option for the topic. Yeah. Um, there is. I should mention there is some online tools like this event helper which I think um, really helps you to not have to print out and actually think does this replace all the cards this uh, event deck helper are we talking about the web app for our RAIV yeah the one that you shared with me right so yeah whoever took up the post did uh, add cards and everything up to I mean everything that was released for fantasy flight I think the original Red Jack version only went up to, like, Bespin Gambit or Twin Shadows. Uh, but the new new guy that kind of runs this project made a web app, and it basically makes it so that you don't need to print the cards at all. You just run it through a, through a web app. It shows you everything you need. But I think you need um, to still have the AI cards, because I don't see them here. But yeah, here you can see on the if you're watching on YouTube, you can see some of these event cards that will pop up um, to kind of ruin your day and make things a little harder. Uh, well, maybe if we if we have the link or the guy's name, um, people can look that up. I mean, and yeah. see whether it includes everything. Because I think it did from what I was reviewing the video on yesterday. I mean, they're all they're all here in the. Um, Google Drive, and I'll post a link to this in the, to yeah. the show description. I can't open it, though, because there's a zip file. So we'll do that later. Um, or, yeah. Uh, oh, wait, here. Is this the AIs? Imperial AI sheets. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I can't. Yeah, I'd have to download this to open them, so that's okay. Yeah, um, I do see them in the Mission Helper at some point in uh, the video I sent you earlier. So they do appear to be there. Okay, okay. Well, um, yeah, you can definitely check that out if you're interested in um, doing that. But 
we now have this tool, which is the Imperial Commander app. And this is a custom fan-made app. came out like maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago, I think. And this is, this is pretty awesome. So this is, I'm going to play their little video on their YouTube channel um, while I talk. But this is a way to basically play the campaign books, um, so all the missions in the campaign books, but with the Legends of the Alliance app campaign rules and AI controlling the Imperial figures. Um, so you get to play like a real campaign and also you, get, you still use all the regular real rules, right, for XP, for the heroes and stuff. And for the Empire as well, I think you end up doing using the actual class cards um, but there's actually two versions of this. So what I'm showing now, this is like kind of just like RAEV, RAIV, but turned into an app. So you still are doing all of the um, like full Emperor player has like imp Imperial class cards, Imperial agenda, and you're playing through an actual campaign. But then the computer manages the activations and the instructions for the emperor imperial figures um, so that's one way to do this and then they recently introduced a new game mode called uh, what is it saga um, and that is like more of a full integration of the app campaign rules onto the regular campaign missions and so they show you, here you go, so they actually have Im implemented all of the missions as maps into the the app, and this is not the Legends of the Alliance app you guys are looking at on the video, this is Imperial Commander. They've actually implemented like three-dimensional map, um, they give you all the instructions in the app for like the mission, um, and they like animate all of it, and it's just like Legends of the Alliance, but it's for the actual campaign missions, like from the book, and so... And it's it's pretty much I'm pretty sure this is free, um, totally free to download. It's only available for Windows right now, but it's a pretty amazing project that these guys have put together. Have you uh, tinkered with either of the modes? So I've been I've played around with the app. Um, I haven't done a full playthrough like with a campaign mission. I I would love to. I tend to. Um, I definitely want to like do it for a video. I think people would enjoy seeing that. Oh, you guys are looking at now on the video. It does also has a full mission editor, so you can create your own custom missions in the app and then play them with the the computer controlling the empire, um, which is again also like amazing. And then I think just recently they had an update. Well, never mind. That's in the uh, community update already. So, but it, it does have a full campaign tracker too, so you can track all your items and XP and stuff in this app now. Um, so, yeah, what would you suggest between the two modes, Classic and Saga? Ooh, I'm definitely more interested in Saga mode. I have played, I played, I think, like, half a mission with the Classic mode, and I found it just not quite, um, it was kind of confusing. <laughs> Like, I was lacking some clarity, and I feel like the saga mode would be more like, do this, set up this, place this here, deploy these guys here. Because, like, in this classic mode, you're having to look at the book, mostly, for what to do. And then the app is, all it's doing is, like, okay, here's who you should activate next, and here's what they should do. Um, 
And this saga mode just looks... It, it is very similar to the app campaign in terms of the, the UI, but you're playing the actual mission. I think he said he... I was reading their, their thread in BGG, and I'll link to all of this, of course, in the, the show notes. Um, but he mentioned he did change a couple, like some small things to make them more app-friendly in the saga mode. So I think that's also going to be like more of a curated experience. But like there on the video you saw, there that was like the finale from Twin Shadows um, being played. Uh, yeah, it looks in- really interesting. Nice. I think, and I think you can also just play missions in any order you want. Uh, I'm sure you mentioned earlier that there's a new update for campaign tracking, but the default way to play is to just run whatever missions you want and tell the app what parameters you're going in with, what heroes, what XP, what credits, what threat level. Yep, exactly. That's the classic mode. You tell it, they have all the missions implemented from all of the core box and um, campaign. Let's see if I can find it here. Uh, yeah, here on the setup mode. So you tell it up on the top left there. You tell it what mission are, are you playing, um, how much, what's the threat level, um, what cards does the imperial have, etc. And then during the mission, you can like modify like the threat level freely. Um, it has difficulty, different difficulty levels. I don't know how what the adaptability is, and you know what? I really want to. I'm probably gonna at some point try to invite the guy who makes this because they're still regularly updating it. I will definitely mm-hmm. try to get one of these guys to come on the podcast and talk about this more in depth because I am not doing this app any sort of justice with all of the <laughs> work that they put into it and how it works. Um, they would they would be able to do a much better job, like explaining how it all works and and going into more detail, but. The thing to know is that this exists, and if you are looking for a way to play the full campaign missions from all the campaign books, it's not just the three campaigns in the official app, this is, like, far and away, number one, your best way to do it, if you have Windows. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, that sounds great. Um... Yeah, I guess Windows is the only holdup here, but, you know, I I would just say that if that seems kind of like an issue, you can always get an HDMI cable, hook up a laptop or something to a TV, try and make that work. That's what I've done before. Yeah, I mean, if you're a gamer and you have a Mac, I'm sure you figured out how to use a Windows emulator at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm just thinking I know a lot of people will use their phones or tablets for help or apps. Um but you can always figure out a way to do it with your TV. Yep. So, yeah, I think we kind of covered everything at this point. Um, yeah. Do, do we have any other modes we need to talk about or anything we missed? I think that's it. I just need to uh, keep in the back of my back of my head the uh, Hunger Games. That sounds amazing. Yeah, if I can find a link to that, I'll post it, but I don't remember where. I think David Gao posted it somewhere. But, um, yeah, so that's the topic. Um, Stick around for a little bit. Um, If you're listening, I am going to talk a little bit about my thoughts on the new Star Wars show Andor on Disney+. Plus. I'm going to record that separately, and then I know, Wesley, you haven't seen it yet, right? 
No, it's it's only been out for a day or so. I have not had a chance to run through that yet. Okay. Well, on a future episode, we can get your thoughts on it, too. I'm, I'll be interested to hear what you think about it. Um, but for everybody else, thanks for watching. And, uh, oh, Wesley, did you want to plug anything before we go? I have a YouTube channel. <laughs> and I will I'll probably just say that every week. And I will post the link to that in the video description. Awesome. All right, thanks everybody for listening and watching if you're on YouTube, and we will catch you later. Peace out. Stay frosty. All right, so I am recording this a little after the main recording for the episode, and I did want to just talk kind of briefly about the new show on Disney+, Plus, which is called Andor. Uh, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard about. Um, it's the new TV show that is sort of a origin story um, for Cassian Andor, the character from Rogue One. And I'm I wanna I am gonna do this as a no spoiler review. Um, <clears throat> so because I, I think there's some people who are hesitant or have maybe been burned a couple times now on um, Disney Plus Star Wars content. So I actually do want to do this as a spoiler-free review so that you can listen to this and then go and watch it. And if you're already going to watch it and you don't want to get spoiled um, at all, you know, it's, it is difficult to talk about a show without kind of spoiling it a little bit. I mean, you might, you'll, you'll be watching it and thinking about what I've said. So if you don't want to have the, my voice in your head while you're watching it, you know, you can turn this off and then watch it and then come back and listen to my take. But if you are hesitant or you're not sure, maybe you have given the first episode a try and you're kind of not feeling it, I would, um, I want you to listen to this so you can kind of give it a shot. Because <clears throat> here's the thing. Andor, this show is—I'm just gonna say—it's—it's it's great. It's fantastic. I mean, we've only gotten three episodes so far. That's true. So I'm not—I can't speak to the quality of the entire show. But the three episodes we've gotten so far has just kind of been this perfect like package. It almost makes this like movie, like a—it's like a film. I mean, these three episodes really come together so nicely as this sort of three-act narrative. Um, and they and there's a payoff at the end. I mean, I really the third episode there is a payoff for the things that kick things off in the first episode, and then there's a slow burn in the second episode that then slowly builds up and builds up into the events of the third episode. It's it's like a there's a climax. Basically, it's a it's a start off, build up, climax at the end. It's like this really nice three act structure, like I said, and. Um, there's it is deliberately paced. I do want to say that um, there's I've seen a lot of people talking about how it's slow, and some people even saying it's boring. But I think if you're paying attention, because um, it is kind of a quiet show too, it's not the type of show that like is hitting you with jokes and exposition and like it doesn't spoon feed you anything really. It shows you what's happening. And then it expects you to figure out what's going on, but it's not like stopping to hold your hand, and which is a diff. It's it's different. It's a big difference from even from the Mandalorian. Like Mandalorian had, was a quiet show too, where you had to kind of watch what was going on, but then it would stop, and somebody like Grief Cargo would come in and you know feed you all of the exposition of what's going on, and it just basically explain the story to you, and then you can watch it. 
And the show doesn't do that. It's just the story is happening in front of you, and you have to see it unfold, which is different. And it's but it's so refreshing, um, and it's paced deliberately. It's not like there's nothing happening. It's not like they're just doing things for the sake of. It's not like a slice of life type of thing. Like every scene is either building up Cassian's character. But usually it's building up Cassian as a character and all the background characters and moving the plot forward. It's like, this is who Cassian is, but also, look, he's doing something. He's talking to someone. He's He has a goal that he's trying to fulfill, and he is showing you the steps he's taking to, to fulfilling that goal. Um, it also is showing you the the bad guy's goal. It's showing you, I mean... They're they're the bad guys in that they're in the antagonists, but in this show, at least in these episodes, I can't speak again to what they're going to be like in the future episodes because um, I believe there are characters on the antagonist side that have not been that have been revealed in the trailers that have not shown up in the in the show yet. So, um, but they are they have like real motivations, they have real goals, and they're realistic and they're understandable and they're they're like you can look at them and be like yeah if i was in their shoes if i had that job like i might feel the same way i might be motivated by the same reasons and it's so nice to not just have the same like empire uh doesn't care about its underlings doesn't care about its lower tiers and everybody's just fighting to impress the big the big boss and to get the the promotion like that's what you see in every star wars media when they portray the empire is just a bunch of lackeys and people groveling for for promotions and to impress you know the emperor or the darth or whoever is the high up i mean we saw that in obi-wan with the inquisitors that's all they were doing was bickering over who gets to hold darth vader's hand and that's what you always see and that's not what you see in this and it's a pretty amazing honestly i never i didn't even think you could portray you know it's not technically the empire but it's empire-like entity. Um, I didn't even think you could portray them that way. And I really hope that we continue to see that when we see the Empire proper in the future episodes. Um, but just, I mean, it's not really a spoiler, but the it's like a security force that reports to the Empire, but it's kind of its own entity. But it's very imperialistic. I mean, they've got a lot of the same infrastructure. But anyway, move, I, again, I don't want to get too much into the details, and I don't want to spoil anything. But the both characters on both sides are both driven by real motivations, um, and the same is true for Cassian in that, like, he is driven by something real, um, and it's not just I want to rebel or I hate the Empire, which again is so nice because even in Rogue One, which this is based off of, like, that was my biggest gripe with Rogue One was that. Um, What's her name? Jin Erso. She has no motivation. She has nothing motivating her other than, I want to live, I want to be free, I want to rebel. I rebel. Like, that's such a meh. But Cassian actually has something he's looking for. And he actually has something personal to him that has nothing to do with the Empire or the Rebellion that he is trying to accomplish. And that is driving his character. But then he has navigate. He has to navigate how that goal brings him into contact with all these other forces, and it makes it really interesting and really fun to watch um, how he does that. 
I want to talk about how this show looks. This show looks amazing. God, it's so nice to see like actual locations uh, being presented. I mean, the volume was cool in The Mandalorian, but my God, did Boba, Book of Boba and Obi-Wan look so cheap. I feel like they over-relied on it, and now that they're actually in these real places, it looks like a film. It looks like they're fil- like being in the movie theater, Seeing it looks like Rogue One, but like to five or ten times better than Rogue One. Um, so that's awesome. The acting is fantastic. Um, the writing is like so strange, but it's strange in a way that it's like, this feels like, like if you ever have ever traveled outside of your native country and you've talked to people from another country, but like in their environment, not as them being tourists in your country, it feels kind of like that. It feels like when you, when you are interacting with locals in a different environment that you're not familiar with. And I think they really nailed that. Um, it might sound weird to people, um, who maybe haven't done that, who haven't traveled and are like, why are they talking like that? But it, I thought it sounded really cool and it really like, it grounds everything. And I think that's why I really like this show is it feels very real. Like it doesn't feel like star Wars. That's the other thing. And normally that's something I would criticize a star Wars show. Like if you don't feel like star Wars, why are you taking the name? But it feels, it occupies the universe really well. Um, and it feels like if Star Wars were a real universe, this is like what it would be like and how it would be for real people actually living in this universe and trying to navigate all of the political issues and, you know, scarcity issues and, and logistics that are presented by what, by, you know, and, and I, I just find it really interesting. And I, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to gush about this show when I started talking about it, but it's refreshing. (laughs) I mean, Book of Boba was really hard, and then I really wanted Obi-Wan to be good, but, and it was in some cases, but you could tell that something went wrong in the production on Obi-Wan. It was, it became something that it had not originally been designed to be, but it got twisted into being something else. And you can tell that Andor is exactly what it was designed to be from start to finish, and that they put the time in, they put the money in, there was nobody rushing them to get it out early or turn it into you know, a 12-episode season when it was only supposed to be a three-episode season. Uh, it feels like they're like, oh, Andor, whatever, do whatever you want. We don't care. We're gonna sh- we're gonna torture this Obi Wan and Boba Fett shows until they're like beyond recognition. But you guys do whatever you want, and I think it really benefited from whatever lack of executive meddling allowed it to be what it wanted to be. There's I'm not saying there's not bad things. Um, the pacing can be a little slow, especially in the second episode, but it's it's in service of creating that atmosphere. But if you're not, I mean, that's not even a bad thing, though, right? And the other thing I really like about this show is that it's a Star Wars show for adults, but kids can watch it. It's not, which is something that, like, you should never do to a Star Wars show, right? Like, you never, ever want to see them make, like, an NC-17, like, Game of Thrones level, Sopranos level of violence and gratuity in a Star Wars 
property because that is not what Star Wars is. Star Wars needs to be kid friendly. This show is kid tolerant. Like you can show this to your nine year old and they're they they'd be fine. You would not traumatize them like you would if you showed them especially a specific scenes from Game of Thrones or something. But they also won't, probably won't get what's going on 100% because there's a lot of subtext, there's a lot of like lived knowledge that you have to have just watching what's going on. Um, they won't get a lot of the emotional stuff, too, that's happening. Um, and I like that. <laughs> I like that it's a show... F- uh, they managed to make a Star Wars show for adults without resorting to just shock factor and gratuity like you see on shows like The Boys um, and other shows like that, which I, by the way, I love those shows, but I recognize there's a lot of shock factor and you could not show this to kids because uh, it would scar them, you know, for at least for a decent amount of time. So, um, it's great to have a Star Wars show on TV to look forward to. I can't wait to see what's going to happen with the future parts. Um, we haven't even gotten to... I mean, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but we haven't even gotten to Coruscant yet. Like, and it's it's going to be a long season. There's a lot of episodes, 12 episodes. That's more than usually. We've been getting like eight episode seasons. Uh, and so this show has room to grow and room to breathe. And there's going to be two seasons. And that's great. So if you're watching it and you are bored or you think it's too slow, I would say stick it out, get to the to the third episode, watch all three, and then decide if you like it or not. And also, like, pay attention more. I think, unfortunately, Star Wars has fallen into this thing where they just kind of exposition dump the story onto you in a talking scene so that they can get to the guns and the lightsabers. But they, in this show, it doesn't do that. You have to... The, the, the action and the dialogue is the plot. It's not like here's the plot in an exposition, now let's go shoot stuff. It's like, it's it's all happening, and you kind of have to watch it happen and watch it unfold and, and be part of the story with the characters rather than know the story up front and then watch action, which is just really nice. And so that's what I had to say about Andor, and thanks guys for listening, and I hope people um, give it a chance, and I hope uh, it continues to impress me the way it has with these first three episodes. All right. Thanks for listening.